Hello and welcome to the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. I'm Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of Champion Health, and today we're joined by Andy Holmes, Global Head of Wellbeing at Reckitt. Reckitt is responsible for 40,000 employees and turns over over £10 billion per annum. It's responsible for brands such as Gaviscon, Neurofen and Jurex, and Andy is leading the way in the wellbeing space, ensuring that the wellbeing of all employees are prioritised for high performance and healthy organisations. Andy's going to bring a whole load of insight to you in the next 12 minutes. Welcome to the podcast, Andy. Hello, Andy. How are you? Very well, thank you. How's yourself after the Christmas break? I'm absolutely grand, thank you. The sun's shining in Sheffield. I'm sure it is down where you are as well. Hey, that's got to be an anomaly, is it, up in Sheffield? Yeah, it is. First time for everything. And it's Blue Monday um, at the moment, at the time of this recording. Right. Um, so I'm trying to flip it and, uh, and use Blue Monday as Blue Sky Monday. Um, in love it. Love the thinking. So to, um, what I'd love to talk to you about is all things well-being, um, especially global well-being, supporting people in different countries, different areas, but also how we can bring well-being together, um, whether that's L&D, D&I, um, to make it a much more um, joined up approach to optimising human performance. So could you just share a little bit about the work that you've done um, in the past and, and where you can see well-being progressing going forwards? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, obviously, this is not our first conversation. I think we've been <laughs> admirers from afar, if that's uh, fair to say. But um, yeah, I think, you know, the well-being space is something for me that started a long time ago. Um, I was a uh, an ice hockey player originally, so did a physiology degree, biomechanics. And I guess when I started with corporate about 25 years ago, that's been part of my journey. Sort of always been curious about why do things happen? Um and more, more intensely, I suppose, recently with behaviors. So as you start to see different behaviors come out in different environments, for me, rather than reacting to behavior, it's much more about how can you be curious about starting to seek to understand or empathize where that behavior's come from, what's triggered it, what's driving it. Um, and so I think that for me is where the well-being piece really started. A lot of conversation around leadership behaviors, a lot of conversation about performance, but then start to think, well, why is it that people fail? Why is it that people don't deliver? And where I got to was that, People very rarely fail because they're not competent. They fail because they lack the consistency to be competent. So they lack the, well, the, the resources, the, the robustness, the resilience to be the person they'd like to be and prefer to be more often than not. Um, and I think that's where the well-being piece really started. Within Reckitt, where we got to was we're a performance organization. You know, we're, we're there to deliver. So as well as our fight and our compass, it was about how can we deliver and perform at pace, but do so with care at the same time? And those two can quite often be at odds with each other. So it was about enabling our leaders not to shy away from the fact that well-being and performance can sometimes be a contrast, but how can we leverage well-being as an enabler of sustainable performance, both inside ourselves and in terms of business context? The second component was then about how can you provide broad-ranging and holistic access to the world's best content? Um, so not forcing it on people, not setting curriculums, but trying to bring it in life, you know, very much as you guys do, but trying to bring it to life in such a way that it's engaging, it's dynamic and it's personable um, and that people see it as an opportunity to do different, not to do more. Because doing more in today's day and age is something that people are really, really struggling with. Our lives are pretty full as they are as a, as a human being at the moment. And I completely agree with that. Um, Champion Health's mission is to make healthier easier for people. What's making healthier easier for your team that you've supported and i say your team there's tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people um so what can you do in your role to be able to support those people could you just share some insight on that andy yeah i think it's 
it's been a contrasting one, if I'm honest, and it's been quite a realization. Um, you know, I've always been someone who's been very acutely aware of my own sense of self and well-being and everything else. And I think by default, you 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 exude and you give out the behaviors and the lens and the mindset and other people respond to that. The big thing that I've realized is that it can't just be me trying to do that, because whilst it's positive, to some people, it can be intimidating. And I don't mean that, you know, that I'm this sort of, you know, great advocate. What I mean is that when someone is struggling to see someone else who is thriving, isn't necessarily going to help them out of their own hole. So I think there's a there's a humility and a vulnerability to the way that we've had to bring that to life. So I think the things that have really enabled us is bringing other voices in, trying to get rid of the hierarchy, but having having the senior management very visible and walking the talk. Um, well-being as well doesn't come to life just through well-being. You know, you mentioned at the start of this that there's well-being, there's DNI, there's bias, there's leadership, there's culture. Well-being is essentially how well resourced we are to experience the world in the way that we want to experience it. Um, and we typically do that through mood. So we experience a mood, but we experience emotion. It's other people who experience our moods, unfortunately. Um, so it's trying to actually get people to track back to not just the behavior, but what's triggering the behavior, what's behind it, and what's either can, causing that sort of downward spiral, or what are the trigger points that can enable us to unlock that and bring ourselves out of it. So it's not just about information and access. It's about helping people to realize the opportunities, or I call them the millisecond lessons every day that we can take a hold of and step change. So, you know, if we look at our daily architecture. If your day's starting to go wrong, how long do you leave it before you recognize a trigger? Is it first thing where you think, you know what, I haven't started on the right foot, my mood's not quite where, quite where it wants to be? Or is it at three o'clock in the afternoon when you're having a car crash of a day, your mood's in the, you know, down, down a hole and things are going wrong? You know, so it's, it's about how do you provide, enable people with their own access to their own tools rather than just forcing more upon them. I find that fascinating. And empowerment is definitely the way to enable behavior change um, and, and elicit that. You mentioned earlier around well-being and performance potentially, in some people's eyes, being odds against or, or with each other. Um, how do you get people round to, I guess, your way and our way of thinking that well-being is the foundation of high performance, not the, the other way around? Yeah, I think one thing we're very good at, at doing as human beings is attributing the world around us, you know, which we, we know is our executive brain explaining the right reasons and wherefores of what's happening. But one thing that goes first is our own sense of self-awareness, our own sense of awareness around what's happening to ourselves, our levels of resource, et cetera, et cetera. So one thing that we've been working really hard around is trying to help people understand their sort of their moods, their emotions and their triggers. So what are the things that are going to help them and connect them? The other thing that we've done is really tried to focus on what's the link between well-being and behavior and behavior and performance. Um, for me, performance and outperformance, when you look at it in the truest sense of the word, a lot of organizations use the word performance, but these are often the organizations that are struggling to perform. So we almost look at it as a matrix. So you have survive, you have perform, and then you have thrive. Now you can perform and be very unhappy doing so but that's not sustainable. You can also perform and thrive in light of that. And that's when performance becomes part of your culture, part of what you do, and it becomes endemic. Um, so the big thing for us is about how do you enable enjoyment, fulfillment, reward as a result of performance or in, in, in delivering performance rather than performance being the top of that pyramid. Because if performance is top of the pyramid, it's always going to be a false summit. And that's the challenge. So that's one piece around it. The other piece for me is that performance is about discretionary effort. 
So people typically give their best, and Simon Sinek talks to this about you know giving their blood, sweat, and tears when they believe what you believe. But for me, it's about it's about um, discretionary effort. It's about choice. So there's two things there. One is about you've got to have the well-being, nourishment, and resources in order to give energy to something. But you've also got to have the psychological safety and the belief that you can actually choose to give that thing. And that's where the real magic happens. So it's not just enabling people's well-being. It's connecting that with the freedom of choice. You know, our, our EVP at Reckitt is freedom to succeed. But that has to be believable. It has to be something that fear, people feel they can access and they feel that they can own for themselves in order to choose. It's absolutely fascinating hearing you talk through that. And I'm sure our audience can have loads of questions. Um, so please connect with, with Andy on LinkedIn. Um, your inbox may be quite full uh, quite quickly, however. <laughs> Cheers for that. One thing I'd love to talk to you about as well, and we've talked at length previously about this, is how um, the employee experience needs to factor in well-being, L&D, D&I. But how do we join all of those areas up? Because at the moment, what we're seeing is they're often in silo and owned by different people and the KPIs are different. How do we join that up truly um, to create awesome humans within our organizations? Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely, yeah, and I know from previous conversations, we speak a very similar language in this space. But for me, there's, there's one piece, which is if you look at any of the topics that you just outlined, so whether it's well-being, D&I, leadership, bias, anything else, you don't fix it from within the silo. So if you look at leadership, you don't fix leadership by training people how to behave. You fix leadership by understanding what influences their behavior and then starting to work on those things that influence them. But we know from a, uh, a human sort of biology perspective that our mood in our, our environment informs our mood, our mood informs our bias, our bias informs our behavior, and our behavior becomes the culture. So if we want to fix something like, I don't know, DNI or inclusion, people don't exclude people because they make a decision to. They exclude people typically because they feel threatened. They feel threatened because they're biased. They feel biased because the environment that they're in, and it doesn't feel conducive to their own success and fulfillment. So working on these things in isolation for me is never going to work you can throw as much money into each pot as you want but you're not going to get the return from that pot so what i've started to look at as i know you do is the science that links those components so the science around our environment and our biology and what our biology means in terms of bias you know looking at our lizard brain which we don't have a lot of control over then starting to look at well how does that influence mood and you know all the other things that go with it so for me these should not sit in separate areas. Even if you look at learning, L&D, L&D is about, is about psychological safety. In today's world, people feel less safe, less secure, and less in control. So if you ask someone to take a learning objective or a learning agenda, you're asking them to take on risk. It's something they haven't done. It's something they might fail at, they might get wrong. So for me, it's not about being really creative about the actual content of the learning package. It's fixed the psychological safety in the organization so that making small mistakes is actually okay. Yeah. You know, my, my son's got a book about Rosie Revere, the engineer, for when he's got kids. It's a really good book. Check it out. But it talks about how her first invention was a flop. And her aunt comes along and says, you know what? Your first invention did exactly what it was designed to do. It failed fast. And, you know, you take the learning and you build again. But you've got to have safety in order to make those, you know, make those, uh, make those learnings. So... For me, it's about having people on the same, you know, the same thread. How do we, as I call it, create the capacity for human? How do we create an environment that fosters people in being absolutely outstanding at what we are best at doing? And as humans, we are unique. We're the only people who can think ourselves into a bad place. We're also the only people who can think ourselves into a good place. 
and that would be where I would start. Fantastic. We're coming to close to the end of, of today's session. It's been really insightful. So first of all, thank you. What I'd love you to do is just leave our listeners um, and people that are starting to influence the wellbeing strategies within, within their organizations with one tip for the next year. What would that be, Andy? Right. So <laughs> thank you for surprising me with that one. Um, I think my, uh, my big one would be, and this is my sort of, I suppose, my belief statement. So I believe that we can do more than we'd ever anticipated by being more than we'd ever appreciated. I believe we can do more than we'd ever anticipated by being more than we'd ever appreciated. So what I'm saying by that is appreciate what you are as a human being, embrace that, make the most of it, and the rest will follow. I think in business, too often we approach what we're going to do, and that's the agenda for the day. So my tip would be have one item on your to-do list, which, which is a to-be, and you need to nail that every day. And it sits at the top of your to-do list, and at the end of each day, you need to decide, am I fulfilled? Am I proud? Am I disappointed? Have I been present? Whatever your to-be thing was, make sure you hit that every day, because if you do, you'll be fulfilled and you'll fuel yourself for the next day. If you don't, which is where a lot of people are, you will find yourself going down the spiral. So yeah, have one tip and that would be your to be vision for every day. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Andy, for joining us on today's episode. It's been a treat. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right. Cheers, Harry. Take care. For more exclusive insights and content around workplace wellbeing, please subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.